spinning back to the open side. Corain Bete, up the here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu, looking for Corain Bete, back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive. We do it all for you. I'm your host, Ando, and I'm proud to say that I have the head coach of the Fijian Ndrua with me, Mick Byrne. Mick, how are you? Ando, very good, thank you. And you? Mate, I am loving life. I'm currently on school holidays as a teacher. Just came back from oh. Taronga Zoo to do an interview with you, so it's a good day. Oh, good. Okay, from one <laughs> zoo to another, eh? Oh, something like that. Uh, <laughs> being a Thursday, what does a Thursday look like for you within pre-season for the Drua? All right. Yeah, we've just finished a pretty big day today. Um, we've got uh, a final training session tomorrow. It's... Uh, you know, we're back in. This has been our first full week back in training after Christmas. So um, right now over here in Nandy, we're in the middle of some pretty heavy rain and mm-hmm. we've been fortunate enough to find our way onto a couple of fields over the last couple of days. But coming back from Christmas, it's been pretty wet. So uh, wet and steamy, hot and steamy, just the way we like it and uh, <laughs> get ourselves ready for our home games this year where it's, uh, we're expecting it to be hot and steamy. That's exciting. And I mean, we'll touch on that fact that you guys are going to be playing all your games except for the Super Round at home, um, home games at home. Um, but I mean, that must the, the weather must throw in a pretty interesting variable within a lot of the planning that you're doing as a coaching staff about what your preseason will look like. How do you adjust when the forecast is saying mm, week of tropical rain? Yeah, well, we've been, we've been really lucky that um, we're able to build a pretty good facility here at, when we got home. Uh, we found a good size warehouse. We've got a, a, a really world-class gym. We've also got about 13 square metres of jiu-jitsu mats on the floor. So we've been able to do a fair bit of work where we get stuck indoors. Obviously, we, we're missing a little bit of running, um, but we did a really we had a really good pre-season before Christmas. We got some really good running and, and fitness into us. And we, we've got out this week, but... We had a couple of days where we weren't able to get outside, but we're able to do all our unit work inside on the gym, all our contact work on the gym, um, on the jiu-jitsu mats. We're able to really get some really good work done. So at this stage, we haven't missed out on anything, but we're very fortunate in the facilities we currently have that we're able to function indoors if we need to. And we've got a little sort of 50 by 50 uh, ground like we've carved out right next to the gym so we can go out there we've been out there and done some work on that so you know all in all we haven't uh, really missed out on anything um, but you know like c- coming forward we, we we can't have too many days where we can't get on a full full-size field and train and that's one of the things that I'd love to hear from you is as as a head coach how do you go about planning the preseason to make sure that your players are um, peaking really, really well for the start of the season, considering they have that Christmas break in the middle of it? Yeah, it does come around pretty quick, uh, our first game. So, um, you know, you don't have a lot of time after Christmas to build much, you know, fitness. And you so you need to do a good lot of work done uh, for us in October, November, December. We make sure we get our good foundations in. We've got our players building up towards game speeds, 
uh, training towards Christmas. We come back in the new year. We came back on the 4th. We got some good work in in the first couple of days to just see where we're at with our testing. And then this week we've been, we've been flat out and we've got ourselves into a pretty good game game sense training, like our game speed. Tomorrow's our big game speed day where we get a lot of, uh, I guess what people would call extensive running, so our longer, our longer running work. And, um, yeah, I think pre-season-wise, we're just going to make sure that um, we've got that sort of ability in our in our running capacity that we can play the game at pace and play the game at pace for 80 minutes. And um, that was something we missed out on last year that we worked on during the season. And this year we've had a pre-season where we've been able to get a fair bit of that work done. So, yeah, all in all, it's we're, we're pretty happy with where we're at around our fitness. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know that when you guys were playing the Waratahs, because sorry, I'm a Waratahs fan, um, it was very much kind of in the final 10 to 15 minutes of the game that we were able to come back into it last season when when the um, when obviously that match fitness wasn't as much of a feature of where the team were. But looking back on the start of 2021 or the preseason for sorry, 2022, um, do you guys are you much more confident with where the team are now compared to where you were at this point last season? Oh, well, yeah, it's, you know, without being corny, it's a bit of chalk and cheese, really. Um, When we started in the middle of November, we we came together and started training. Basically, we didn't have any time together before that. Uh, Players and staff were all meeting each other on the first day of training, so we had no pre-time together. Some of our players hadn't played since October 2020. So some wow. of our players yeah, okay. haven't played for 13 months, um, where a lot of the other Super Rugby teams, their players had, had played a Super season and and played either some Shoot Shield or some um, NPC or some Test matches. Um, our players hadn't done anything since October 2020. Uh, so we were, you know, I think it's we documented it pre-season last year. We lost 100. 30 kilos as a squad over three months. Um, so That's got to be a record. That's got to be a record within the Super oh, Rugby preseason. I'd say, I'd say it'd have to be a record. Um, but there was a lot, we had a lot, you know, it wasn't so much the fact that we worked extremely hard. It was just the fact that some of our players, you know, you're asking players that 12 months before had no vision that they were ever going to play Super Rugby and now are in Fiji and, uh, you know, Skipper Cup got called off because of COVID and so they're sitting around not doing anything and suddenly, you know, in August, September, they get asked to come and join a Super Rugby team and a month later they're flying out to Australia to start pre-season training and they hadn't done, nothing, they hadn't done anything for 13 months. So we wow. knocked a lot of weight off them, but we spent those first two or three months just getting to sort of a level that we could actually start training and then we were playing. So... Where we are now, we're watching training now is compared to, you know, as coaches, we sit back and think about watching training last year and seeing players walk around the field when they, they were tired. And, and now we're running out trainings where, you know, we're, and the boys are working really hard and we're, we're doing extra running top-ups at the end of training. Um, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's a, a massive contrast to last year. 
it's got to be incredibly kind of gratifying for you as a coach. But uh, in preparation for our chat today, I spent a bit of time just kind of reading a few articles about some of your backstory because I'd always known you as Mick the Kick, uh, the, the kicking skills coach that had worked with New Zealand and the Wallabies and the like. And yeah. um, one of the things I wanted to ask is, with your background, particularly within AFL, obviously you're Australian, Australian-based for large portions of your life. What have you had to adjust to most in terms of living in Fiji, the Fijian culture, and working with a primarily Fijian team? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think, yeah, I've did my time in Australia. I grew, I grew up playing rugby league and rugby uh, as a schoolboy, and I switched over to Australian rules. At, 16 years of age but i've i left australia in 2001 and so i've traveled the world and coached in different countries and i've coached a lot of um island pacific island players and a lot of fijian players in the past so you know having looking at it from an australian perspective uh, you know i think the the 22 years that i've been traveling the world has allowed me to sort of broaden my if you like my cultural experiences, yeah, um, yep. coaching, you know, coaching three years in Japan in a foreign language, that helps me understand my communication when I'm talking to people that English is a second language. You know, it helps me understand the the speed I talk, the the language I speak, the words I use. So, all those types of things I've had um, plenty of experience at. The Fijian culture is. You know, I've had a little bit of experience, but nothing nothing prepares you for coming and living in a country and experiencing it that way. Um, mm-hmm. I've been out to local villages and um, had a look at the way of life there and what our players and how our players live. I've taken on a lot of information from our players and from staff that have got a lot of experience and from leaders, you know, the community leaders and understanding... Um, you know, the, the resilience that's built into our players um, and how we can maximise that, but also our, if you like, um, our ability, being resilient and our ability to accept when things don't go well leads to a, a situation where everything seems to be, oh, it'll be okay. Well, it'll, it'll all be okay. Sometimes... Mm-hmm you need to create a little bit more urgency than that. And so uh, working with our players and our leaders about how we can create some urgency within our group to um, add to the strength of being able to deal with adversity and being resilient, but sometimes also we need to learn how to be urgent and get things done urgently. Um, so, yeah, it's been been a good learning curve. One of my favourite uh, moments of the of last season was the final match that the Ndrua had against the Chiefs in La Toca. And it was absolutely amazing just to see the stands absolutely packed, the roar of the crowd as the Ndrua had their comeback in that kind of latter period of the second half. People hanging off the trees and the like to try and get a view of the game. How important are the Ndrua for Fiji and Fijian rugby as a whole, as the first, from my understanding, fully professional um like provincial team with a top level competition uh i think um you can't really put words to how important it is um you know it's it's the link between the young the young players in the village and 
I mean, I've got a little local beach down here at Wailoa Loa and you go down there in the afternoon and, you know, there'll be 20 or 30 kids throwing the footy around playing touch footy and they're, you know, in the past, if they were looking at being a professional rugby player, it was about leaving home, going overseas and, you know, leaving the village, which some of them have never left their own village, let alone left Nandy to go to Suva. Um and for them to pursue a professional rugby rugby career, they had to leave the country. Um, and for us to be now in there and these young kids at Wailoa Loa are looking and saying, well, I've now got a professional team here that I can aspire to be part of. And it, it brings professional rugby in, onto the island. It's, it's a massive thing for the for young aspiring rugby players and coaches to see that they no longer have to leave their families behind as such, you know, go overseas and to pursue professional rugby. Yeah, there's only one team. So, yeah, the, the spots are going to be tight. But there is now a, a pathway for the young players to see that they can aspire into professional rugby. So from that sense, the endure being here is massive. It's a massive yep. part of Fijian rugby culture now. And I might actually jump forward to a fan question that came in because it kind of deals with this topic. So um, a friend of the pod called Rev got in touch saying with Ratave having already left and Humbossi signed to leave for Racing 92, I believe, at the end of the 2023 season. Um, do you have much concern about the Drua uh, being able to continue to be that showcase for Fiji and rugby only to see the best players picked off and taken to uh, higher paying um, leagues throughout Europe or maybe even Japan. Um, do you see that as an unfortunate reality of the current landscape or do you have particular plans in which you're going to be trying to keep some of the rising stars within the draw at home? Yeah, look, um, yeah, I think it, it's a reality. I don't think it's an unfortunate reality. It's just the reality. Um, you know, Karevi left the Reds and the Wallabies. Um, Korobiti left the Rebels. Uh, Luatua uh, left the Blues. You know, Piatau left the Blues. There are good players leaving Australia and New Zealand rugby to pursue overseas contracts. Um, one of the things for Fijian rugby growth is that those players are still eligible to play for the flying Fijians, even though they leave. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. in the case of New Zealand, those players aren't eligible for the All Blacks. In the case of Australia, there's only a, a window that's, that they keep talking about what that looks like. But I think it's just a reality of where we are and the sort of money that's around here versus the money that they can get either in Japan or the UK. Um, so for us, we understand that that's, that's a reality. And losing, we're going to lose players. We Obviously, we want to uh, hang on to as many to all those players would be great. But when you look at the money that they're being offered overseas and what they're getting here, that's why, you know, a, a Luatour or a Piatau or a Karevi or a Korobiti leave Australia and New Zealand. It's just you can't... Yep. Australian super rugby teams and New Zealand super rugby t- teams can't compete with that money. So the Fiji and the Drua team can't compete with that. What we can do is spend our time getting that next batch of players coming through. So when Karevi leaves the Reds, you know, Paisami steps up. You know, um, you know when Tour leaves, you know Akira Rawani or you know um, Satutu or someone else steps up. So we're in that same boat here, where we've got to make sure that when we lose those players, 
come the reality of one or two, three or four players a year we lose because we're actually going to put some very, very good players on the world stage. And, you know, the big money clubs will come and see a, uh, an embossy and they'll go, wow, we want this fella. You know, uh, we, the flying Fiji, he won't be lost to the flying Fijians. He'll be lost to the endure, but we're going to try and hang on to them as best we can. Um, as I said, even the, the great super rugby team struggled to hold on to their players. Um, yep. the, big, yep. the big challenge for us and the reality for us is to find that next group. So with that in mind, we've got 10 young players, academy players that are training with us, you know, three times, three days a week. And, you know, there's a couple of young, good young players coming through there that, um, you know, next year we've we had 60 players come through the Endura program, not the Endura program, the Endura facilities, the Fiji rugby program, as their academy players, they, were, they came in and used the Fiji Endura facilities. So they've already had a taste of what it looks like to be part of an Endura player. And there were 60 players that came through there in December that we'll keep an eye on over the next 12 months. And I'm sure... Being Fiji as it is, um, I'm sure some of those players are going to be world-class players in the future. Um, so we've just got to make sure we, we do the right thing there and develop our young players coming through. And when, once we lose one or two out of the top, we replace them with another one or two coming through. Uh, that production line of talent is incredibly exciting and I'm sure you're working pretty incredibly closely with Simon Rao Louis as well for yep, for that um, pathway program. Yeah. Yes, no, definitely. And Bill Godolo, there's, you know, there's probably three or four people at the moment that have had a, had a pretty good role in under-20s coaches, um, and Simon, etc. There's a good group of people that are working on the next batch. The the thing that we add to that group that have worked really hard over the years is instead of creating these players and seeing them shipped off to a school in New Zealand or a club in New Zealand or you know the French French academies. You know, there's two last year we had two locks playing in the under twenties, six foot nine and six foot eight um, under twenty locks that are in France have been signed in, in France because there was no professional program for them to sign sign up to the, the year before. Now, trying to bring them back from France is a challenge. But, you know, we'll still we'll continue to talk to them and we'll when that opportunity comes that they, they want to come back, I'm definitely uh, we're talking to them. Um, yep. but if we were here before they got pinched to go to over to a, a French academy and we said we want you to be an Indra player and play super rugby, every chance they probably stay. So I'd say in the future, those sort of players will be will be staying in, in Fiji. Well, in the spirit of reflection, why don't we just have a quick chat about 2022? Um, so just for the listeners, in 2022, the Drua finished 11th with two wins from 14 matches, uh, with the final game being an incredible, one of the best games of the season, uh, with a 35-34 loss to the Chiefs in La Toca, which was absolutely just a stunning match all round. Um, Mick, how would you rate the season for the Drua out of 10 or an equivalent kind of rating if you were to kind of look back and reflect? Yeah, I'll look on reflection. I, I think we we were disappointed that we didn't beat the Western Force. Um, we were up when the final siren went. Um, so, we, you know, we were disappointed with that loss. We're disappointed with the Highlanders' loss. I think at one stage we might have got to 14 points up. Um 
Um, and I think we put most we we put all our points on the first half. We might have kicked the penalty in the second half. Uh, we we lost our way and lost our shape in the way we want to play in the Highlanders. We we got caught up trying to do things that you know that 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 was a win. So there you know there's four wins. The Reds, you know, the, we got it. The Reds got away from us at the end, and we had a chance to win that one at the death with a five meter line out, and we bombed that. Um, and then the Chiefs, you know, we we nearly got there. So all in all, I was really pleased with where we got to from where we started. Yep. Um, yep. When you look back and see where we started in November and that first training run and you're sort of seeing, you know, players, we do a couple of fitness tests that other teams do and, we were sort of 60% of the score of the other teams. So we were, you know, some players were 50% as fit as their opponents in November. And I think we got to be about 70% as fit as our opponents based on the standards that I know come out of Australian Super Rugby and New Zealand Super Rugby around fitness tests. We got to about 60% of the wow. that standard fitness. So we were wow. well underdone around being ready to play super rugby. So the fact that we won our third game, we bombed, uh, I think it might have been our fourth or fifth game against the Western Force. We bombed that one. We were up when the siren went. Uh, we fell over, you know, we fell against the Reds and then that last one against the Highlanders and then the, you know, so all up, we could have had five wins under our belt. Not that, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing the what-if game. I'm just saying that, mm. you know, there was we were close enough to win five games. That would have put us in the finals. Yep, and if we do that, I'm sitting here going on that. That's the last thing I expected to be playing finals in our first year. It certainly was a goal, no question. It's a goal and this year. Having done what we've done, we've definitely got a goal. We're playing. You know, we need to be playing finals this year to say we've we've grown from last year. Mm. And I mean, when you take into account the other factors, like the team was based out of Lennox Head for the entire season, you guys got flooded out of Lennox Head with all the floods that were happening around the Northern Rivers region yeah, as well. We got evacuated out of there and yeah, shifted into hotels. We were living, um, well, yeah, we had three three home bases living out of three different hotels last year, and we played. I think fourteen of our sixteen games we played on different grounds. So yeah. You know, all in all, um, you know that. But but this team has an ability to do that. As I said, you know the resilience they have. It's a massive strength of ours. There was no whinging or moaning or groaning about it. You know, um, when we played the Rebels up on the Sunshine Coast, we were due to play that at Suncorp. We got evacuated out of Lennox. The bus that we were going to take was underwater. Um, so when we rang the bus company, we said to the bus company. We're going to leave a day early because we can't trust the, the, the river up north. The highway looks like it's going to be closed tomorrow, so we're going to leave today. They said, we can't leave with us. Our bus is underwater. So oh, the water had flooded into Ballina. It actually was higher than the bus, so the bus was underwater. Um, at 5.30 in the afternoon, we just decided we'd all get as many cars as we could, and we headed off. We had um, you know Andrew Fraser from Lennox, um, he just got a car out the front and took off up the highway and we just followed him up the highway with as many cars as we had loaded up. Uh, we stopped at a BP servo on the way up and grabbed some snacks and then got to the Sunshine Coast about 
10 o'clock that night, um, a day, you know, two days before we expected to travel and came out and won that game. So it, that's a real strength of, of ours is our ability to, to live in that world, adjust and, and have some resilience. Um, but I think that's... having being at home now, you know, we, we'll have different set of challenges, but our players will be settled. And it'll be great, mm. you know, the fact that we'll be able to say, well, we've got three home games at La Tolka and three home games in Suva. Um, yeah, we, we, but it's at home, you know, it's our home base. Whereas we didn't have a home base. We're playing Sydney, we're Melbourne, we're Gold Coast, we're Sunshine Coast, we're Brisbane. You know, all our home games were, were everywhere. That's just so incredible to hear that level of... Um improvisation but then to also just appreciate how well the team performed despite all the challenges and the circumstances that you're putting forward i mean you look at someone somebody like vanaya hambosi who he had that story come out that he'd been in hospital with a serious blood infection that could have put his life in danger and then he comes back puts what a six month recovery window down to about two months due to kind of the work ethic oh wow 12 months and well, they, then he becomes basically him. the player yeah. of the season. Well, they told him when he was in hospital in Dunedin that he probably may not run or play again for 12 months. Incredible. So, you know, for him to come out and do what he does from game one is unbelievable. Incredible. Well, um, looking ahead then into 2023, we, we've already spoken or you've already spoken a little bit about uh, the excitement for playing the games out of Suva and La Toca. I'm assuming that the change of um, expectations will be the main challenge that the team will have to overcome now that they're playing six games at home against such a passionate audience, a passionate home crowd, that there'll be almost a new set of nerves and challenges that are the things that they'll be overcoming. Yeah, I think um, last year that they had the nerves because they hadn't been at home. So, you know, there was that whole excitement of coming home. Forget about the rugby, just seeing the wife, seeing the kids, seeing mum, seeing dad, seeing brother, seeing sister. Mm. Hadn't seen for nine months. You know, just the fact that they were, that excitement was, was, was massive. And so, you know, and I think that probably... Didn't, didn't cost us, but certainly has an influence on your preparation for a game. You know, that yep. suddenly you're at home and, you know, you haven't been to your village for nine months and you go out to the village and, you know, it's it's just seeing family and friends and all that. Having the group here now, um, there, there'll be the expectation will be there, but I think our boys understand that from when they were little kids as well you know they they're now they understand now that they look back and see those little kids and they want to do them proud so i don't think the expectation is going to surprise us and i think we'll be better prepared for it because we won't have that excitement if you like of seeing family and friends for the first time Mm -hmm. in nine months and then trying to get out and focus back on the rugby after having that excitement yeah um, Did you give the players a couple of days off when you first flew back home so that they could spend that time and catch up with family and friends? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we organised two or three days there. Um, when we first got in, we, we had to get in and play because we, we played the weekend before. We had to travel back and had to prepare. 
So we flew into Nandy and we gave the Nandy boys the opportunity to stay in Nandy for that night and catch up with family and make their way over to Suva the next day. And then the following week, we would we travelled up to Nandy and we prepared in Nandy to go to the Hurricanes. And I think in a roundabout way, it probably affected us, but it was more important from a human mm. uh, element perspective that we did. And I think it affected our build-up for the Hurricanes game that we, you know, that we gave the Suva boys the, the opportunity to stay in Suva and come up to Nandy a couple of days later. So we missed a couple of days prep leading into the hurricanes. And then we had to travel to, to Wellington and have a training session over there. So, yep. uh, yeah, but it was more important that we allowed it, you know, we gave our players the opportunity to, to go and catch up with their, their families. Um, yep. So, yeah, we, we certainly did that. Um, and then with the chiefs one, well, we were stayed we stayed here after the chiefs game. So that was good. You know, we didn't have to give them any time off, for that week because they were back home and they were staying at home after the Chiefs game. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. So um, looking ahead then to the 2023 season, you mentioned before the fact that you'd be aiming for top eight finals within the competition. What else are some of the goals that you're setting for the team in terms of either results or um, quality and style performance that they're putting out on the field? Well, I think if you look at some of the stats around the world, some things we did a world class, you know, um, you know, attracting defenders to the contest. You know, I think we're number one in the world for attracting two defenders into a contest. Uh, I think we're rated. This is this is right around the world, including the European teams. I think we're rated three in the world for engaging three defenders into a tackle contest. So we did, we do some things really, really well. But then there's other things, you know, our turnovers were, were were up there as well, you know. So we we our turnovers were, you know, were probably, you know, some of the worst in the world. Um, so getting the getting some of the things that we let ourselves down with last year, which was loose carries, it took us probably halfway through the year to understand that. As a forward pack, it's okay just to carry and get tackled and present a good, strong ball after making a one-metre gain. Making a one-metre gain here in Fiji doesn't seem to be anything. You know, people aren't happy with that. Um, you know, the, the crowd here expect you to be making line breaks every time you touch the ball. <laughs> um, and when you watch our players play, uh, when you watch our, the young players just out on the beach playing touch footy, it's no touch. It's no touch footy. So you don't get touched with the ball. And we had a little bit of that carry over into our game last year where every time we went towards near contact, we, we didn't take the tackle. We tried to get a flick and offload off. And while that was a strength of ours in good times, it, it let us down at other times where it would have been better just to take the hit, get a good hit, get a good carry, get across the game line, present the ball and go again. And I think we developed that understanding as the year went forward and Already in training, we're presenting ourselves a much better, much better shape there. More consistent understanding around how we carry through the contact area. Um, so yeah, that those things in in reflection for us, that's, they're, they're going to be areas of improvement. That's incredibly exciting. Um, Harry Dale got in touch and asked, which players should we be keeping an eye on to light up the scene this year? Anybody uh, who uh, name we may not recognise. 
Oh, you probably recognise them, but you know, last year, I, you know, I, I, as a coach, you don't like putting names to players <laughs> when that happens because then you, you know, you, you're sort of playing favourites or you're putting people out. But I mean, Barra last year, I mean, Kitty Salara is a is a very very good player. Um, you know, I think he's going to be somebody special to keep an eye on um, as the as the year unfolds. Um, everybody's looking for another Hambossi, but you know. Hambossi, you know about. I think he's going to be. Yep. He's he's put on another four kilo of lean muscle mass, if that's even possible, um, <laughs> because he's got he's probably our leanest player in the team, and he's just put another four kilos on. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's an exceptional athlete. Look, we've got we're going to unearth another three or four really good players this year. Um, but as Super Rugby unfolds, you know they'll. They'll come forward. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know. In the once once Kitty Salah's out there, I think he's going to be somebody pretty special for us. Um, what we might do now is let's jump into the fan questions, and we'll just uh, jump through these pretty quickly because you've been more than generous with your time so far after a long day of preseason. Uh, um, so another question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, true, we're chatting rugby. Who doesn't love chatting rugby at this That's point? It. I mean, like it could be worse. I could have a real job. <laughs> true true um rev has got in touch in 2020 uh, 2022 he um kind of thought it, the team or the approach was about getting minutes into the whole squad with a lot of rotation to bring players up to a feeling and an understanding of what the requirements of super rugby were how confident are you of knowing your best 23 this year yeah best 23 look i think i've got a pretty good idea of a, of a 15 or 16 you know mm-hmm but when we get out to that that other the the backup part, part of the team, look, we're we're pretty even there. Um, again, when we finished the year, we we sort of had an idea of around where we were around our best twenty three. Um, we're a lot closer to having that this year. Um, we're a lot closer to understanding players that. Um, I wouldn't say money ball players, but players that don't have a big rep that actually work bloody hard for you. And, you know, they don't don't score well on the stat sheet some weeks, but they do some really good unseen stuff that uh that as a coach you go, right, I'm I'm happy with that. So sometimes you get, you know, players, oh, what about him? He's he's this, he's that, you know, why isn't he getting picked? But and as a coach, you see other guys that do a lot of the hard work and the grafting work that others can shine. So we're just working our way through those as well. But it's a good question and a good good observation that we needed to get everybody last year an opportunity to show us because this year we're going to start narrowing down our best 23 every week. And some players might spend a, a bit of time either in or out of the team. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just one of the really exciting things that you have that capacity to have such uh, challenge and competition for those spots now. Um, yeah. Right. One question that Hugh Tyndall came in and asked was, how do you balance the traditional, I mean, I don't know if it gets annoying hearing this, but the Fijian flair that the Fijian players are known for with what seems to be the the structure and the expectations of playing um, kind of top flight professional rugby within the super rugby season. How, how are you trying to balance that or make sure that the players are like you mentioned before, not just going for the offload all the time, but are willing to take the contact and do the effective recycle for a quick play on the next phase. That's a great question. Um, 
I think it's probably a, our biggest challenge last year and, and again this year. Um, I, th I think personally, rugby gets way too structured. Um, but I think when, uh, when you come and coach here, we need to have some of that structure in our system. It depends on what you think structure is. Um, for me, structure is where our players are on the field, not what we do. Okay. So how we're, how we're balancing up, like some, it depends on your terminology of structure. So my view of structure for our team is we want you to have a certain position on the field where you where we expect you to be, but where the ball goes, I don't know. I don't know where the ball's going to go. I don't, from a line out, you know, we know we're going to have a, a couple of strike plays where we go here and we go there, but then after that, we want to go where the defence isn't. So our structure is not going to be, oh, let's play off nine, you know, from the edge, let's play off nine and then play off nine from the middle and then use our backs which is some teams have a structure where, you know, they, they might have a structure and then they play, let's play through our pods through the middle or bless. We just want to make sure that our players get back across the field and then look for where the defence isn't. Now, yeah. that way we can continue to play with our Fijian flair, if you like, but we've got a structure around that says we're all in a position and if the ball goes here, you guys are responsible there. If the ball goes here, you're responsible. If it goes here, you're responsible. But I don't want to get a situation where we say, off the edge, we're going to play off nine and play off nine, or from an edge, play off ten and then come back down the short side. Because then that that's going to rob us of our ability to play the game the way these guys like to play the game. If there's a, an opportunity to look up, and if I've, you know, some of our loose forwards might look up and see a gap between two defenders and they're capable of taking it. I want them to go, you know. Well, I want them to play that, you know. I want them to to take that opportunity and and and, and play that space. Yeah, brilliant. And I think that what you're talking about there is really, really interesting because, I mean, from from my perspective as like a rugby fan, a rugby lover, um, when we when we think of structure, we generally think more of the set piece elements of the game, yep. such as the the line out, the scrum, the ruck involvements that players. Um, that teams have and I mean typically the most structured teams will generally be anything that Jake White coaches um, the Brumbies and maybe Ireland uh, as as the top few but obviously you've been able to try and adapt through your knowledge and understanding of both the typical structured approach and the nuances of your players um, has that been something that you thought about prior to becoming a head coach or is it something that you just had to learn after many conversations with people who knew Fijian players and Fijian rugby a lot more? No, I think it's something that I've always had in my mind um, about the game. Like, you know, I've always felt, and, I, and this is something, you mentioned Jake White. I worked with Jake back in 2001 in South Africa and I remember we sat down one day and he asked me the question, he said, what do you think the game's going to look like in 10 years' time? And I said to him, well, I think what the game will look like is forwards carrying and playing the ball like backs and backs carrying and cleaning out like forwards. And if, you know, in 2001, I thought if the forwards could play more rugby, mm -hmm. the game would open up. And if the backs could look after the ball and clean out and be more and stronger over the ball, then we'd secure the ball on line breaks and things like that. So... I think for me, I've always thought about the game that way. There's 15 players out there and I've been involved in different teams 
I've been around different countries and heard people talk. You know, if you've got a single number on your back, get out of the way, let the double numbers play. You know, all these sorts of talk, the sorts of talk that goes around. You just got to upskill, upskill every player to play the game. And, you know, um, I was talking to a USA guy uh, last year about, well, a couple of years ago about coming over. I was over in the States and I was talking to a guy um, over at Austin and he he was per- he's perfectly built tight head prop, but he played, and I don't know the position, so I don't know if he was a linebacker, but his job was as on the defensive side trying to tackle the running back or try, 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 trying to tackle a running player. Um, and he played... He was at high school. He played nine years of football and never touched the ball. Wow. And I said to him, well, if you became a tight head prop, you could touch the ball 15 times a game. You could get in, you're involved in the game. If you, you know, he was built like a tight head prop. I said, you need to consider rugby, you know, because you, you need to be, and I will always think if we've got 15 players, they all need to be touching the ball. We need to use them. And so, you know, becoming a head coach, and then becoming head coach of the Fijian team where all our forwards love carrying the ball. There's backs, there's back spirit trapped in all our forwards' bodies. <laughs> so it's just the big part for us is to learn to be a little bit stronger when we carry and, and be a little bit more forward-oriented with our carries and not trying to yep. fling the ball every time we carry. Um, but... Yeah, well, here's a follow-up question for you then, sorry, is um, where do you see the game then being in 10 years? In 2033, what do you think the game of rugby will look like at that time? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a great question. When I looked at the game and where, where was the growth, the growth was in the existing laws of the game, the way the game was being played. The existing laws of the game meant that if our tight five could become part of the first rucks off counter, become part of counter attack, become part of turnover attack and and have hands on the ball and play in that, the game would open up enormously. Um, there's laws of the games that, that, that keep changing and so you, you're sort of managing the laws of the game. Where we'll be in 10 years' time, I think we'll perfect the we'll perfect our time parts of the game. I think there's still a lot of dead time in the game. I'd like to think that we find a way to get sort of 40 minutes of game time, 50 minutes of game time. Yep. So, yep. You know, without adding extra time, people turn up at the moment, people turn up, the game starts at 7.30, they're still in the stadium at 9.30 and they've watched 30 minutes of footy. Yep. I'd like to think that we can find a way that they can turn up, watch the game start at 7.30. They're still in the stadium at 9.30, but they watch 45 or 50 minutes of game. Mm. Mm. And I think that's our challenge. And, and how we do that, you know, trying to, you know, work with our skill sets, keep the ball on the field, keep get fitter. Um, yeah, well, I, I'd like to think that we've, we can find a way to, to increase our game, our game ball in play time by about 10 minutes at least. Um, and that will also change the the type of player which is on the rugby field as well. Because, I mean, over the last, say, 10 or so years, you've seen a rise of um, kind of your massive number 13s. So, I don't know, um, who would be the typical player? Like your 
Jamie Roberts, your George North, your Manu Tuolangi, um, all those players. But if the ball is in play for another 10, 15 minutes per game, then you're going to need a far more aerobic um, player, somebody who can actually stay on the field for a longer period of time and the capacity or the impact of the bench players will be much more important as well. So I think that would result yeah. in some really interesting changes. Yeah, I think so. But also, you know, having been fortunate enough to, to be involved at rugby league at, you know, the professional level, uh, coaching and coaching AFL at the professional level, I know the capacity of, of players' fitness levels. You know, and a rugby, a rugby league players, you know, they mightn't be able to play 80 minutes, but their efforts to their, their repeat efforts are, are enormous. And so we know that we can get players to repeat those efforts. I, st- I still think rugby players can be fitter. Um, and also think, you know, like I know I'm a bit different and I'm, I'm not an old school traditionalist, but I keep hearing about reducing the bench down so that we can play the game with, with players that are fatigued. Well, that, if that's not taking the game backwards, then I don't know what is. You know, the one of the number one reasons for people getting injured is fatigue. And if we can't coach our players to be better attackers, that we need to go to a place in the game where we say we're going to reduce the number of players on the bench so that we can actually see if players are under fatigue, that's how the game's going to open up. Well, then I'm just, I can't accept that. I can't accept that as a, as a coach. I know where we... I know we can we can make players more skillful than that. Um, mm. You know the the ability to you know catch and pass over either foot. We're still not where we could be as a world as a world game um, in that in that regard. And so we can still improve the skill sets of our players. That you know we don't need to take the game backwards and have slow the game down. Gets get people out on the field that are unfit just so we can see more tries scored. I think yep. we can we can take it further. We can add skill to our game. We can get our tight five fitter. We can get our tight five playing better rugby, and that that'll open up the game, um, and that'll give us more tries. What I think we might do then, because again, we've, I said we were very happy with the time that you spent, and now we've gone on for another fifteen minutes, just loving chatting about rugby. Um, four like final that. questions. And we might do them as quick fire questions. So uh, Simon Nelson has asked, do you see Revovo as a 12 or a 13? He had successful outings in both roles last season. Yeah, I do. Um, he's training at the moment at 12, but, you know, he can certainly go to 13. Um, yep. I think we've been working on his skill sets as a 12, so his ability to, to shift the ball. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he's such a player that, you know, he's such a good player that, you know, either either spot. But at the moment, he's starting at 12. Okay, uh, good to know. Yeah, you know, could, could go to 13, so it's a good question. And knowing Simon and knowing Rev as well with some of his questions, um, we're all fantasy draft rugby players as well. Oh, okay. So we're trying to get insights into some of yeah, the truer yeah, players for our fantasy right. rugby teams too. Okay, I like it, I like it. <laughs> So knowing that Revovo will get more touches of the ball at 12 is very important for our picks yes, in a couple okay. of weeks. Okay. <laughs> a few more um, gain line breaks. A few more exactly, meters yep. Exactly. Yep. yep. Poor props don't get that many points, but those outside no. backs or uh, no. centres, ball running centres, they're gold. <laughs> um, yeah, Thallium right. has asked, have there been many challenges transitioning from a skills coach to a head coach? 
Yeah, look, um, in 2009, I was appointed Ford's coach at Japan national team. Um, I'd been doing work with the Ford pack at the All Blacks around the lineouts, and I was in charge of the restart. So I transitioned into different parts of the game as uh, when I was with the All Blacks in you know that two sort of seven, two eight, two nine, two ten window. Um, moved in as a Ford's coach with Japan 2009, 10 and 11. So I was very fortunate in 9, 10 and 11 that I was coaching Japan and the All Blacks. So I was a skills coach at the All Blacks with responsibilities around the restarts and exits. So I had responsibilities for aspects of the game. I was a Ford's coach at Japan. Then I became the Ford's coach at the Blues. So basically my transition from a skills coach started in 2009 and has progressed through um, to responsibilities in, in aspects of the game and moving into a head coaching role. So, yeah, it's a good question, but my transition as such has been ongoing since around 2009. Brilliant. Red Roberts asks, where is Oliveretti, so I might say the name incorrectly, Oliveretti Vetokani these days? Yeah, so, so Freddie um, needed to have surgery um, ACL surgery. He got a quite a bad illness, uh, lung infection. Um, so he was uh, he was uh, unable to travel to Australia. So he still hasn't had that knee repaired. Um, so at, at this stage, he's still under under medical watch. Um, yep. And you know, it was unfortunate for him. That he got quite a quite a bad illness, lung 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 infection, which stopped him travelling to Australia. He was he was due to go over and have a ACL surgery. So at yeah. the moment, he's his ACL still hasn't been repaired. Okay, well, that's um, unfortunate for him, but good to know that uh, he's still around and hopefully can get back onto the pitch once that's once that's yeah. addressed. Yeah. Um, Balumba has asked as a final question: If you could have one thing for the team, what would it be? One thing. One thing. One thing. $10 million to keep players oh, uh, in Fiji. <laughs> one thing for, for the team. Uh, I was just saying, could be, yeah, one thing for the whole team, one thing for you as a head coach that would um, make your job easier, whatever it is, your choice. You have a magic wand. Uh, a training field. Easy. Um, so, yeah, it's something we, we're working towards having. Um, at the moment, we're training off international schools ground has been good we've been at prince charles there's a patch of turf out at dinner so at the moment we're shifting between fields uh, fiji airways our sponsor is uh, looking at um, which is near our gym giving us a, a block of land we can put a field on so we're just progressing down through there but to actually you know to be able to walk out of our gym and onto a training field would be something would be pretty awesome for us after at the moment we we still don't have a training field um everybody here is working really hard to get that fiji airways a sponsor i know um you know our organization has worked really hard with them so you never know we could have one of those within the next two or three months well but, mate, yeah, hopefully that will come across really soon That'd be something that'd be awesome to be able to just walk out and go onto our training field. <laughs> How good. How good. Yeah. And what that makes me think is um, 
just how special it is to have the Fijian Drua in Super Rugby with all the challenges that they faced in 2022. And despite the huge improvement that you've spoken about so far in preparation for this season, the fact that a um, Super Rugby team doesn't yet have a training field to be working on consistently just shows the fact that they still have so much more opportunity and room for growth as well as a team and as an organization. So I, for one, I'm incredibly excited to watch their growth this year. And um, yeah, he's hoping that they're able to push their way into the top eight and give some of the, some of the top teams a real run for their money come final season. Yeah. And I think, Ando, you're spot on, man. I think we look at it like that as well. Like there's a great opportunity to grow, not look at what we don't have. Hmm. I don't think our people look like that. Um, you know, the resilience that's in them is always half full. The glass is always half full. Um, and it's always the opportunity to fill it up. And, um, you know, we look at the opportunity that presents us. We've, we've got grounds we can train on, how good. Um, we've got a ground we're working on, how great. And, you know, in three months' time, you know, we, we could have that filled up and running and, you know, we, we just get on with it in the short term. So... Um, I know the organisation is working extremely hard behind the scenes to to get on top of that for us, and they've put a great they've put a great indoor facility together for us. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast around our gym facility and the the, the you know our our training mats in there, the indoor facility we have there is is world class. So everybody behind the scenes is working extremely hard to give us every opportunity to present ourselves as a as a final prospects for twenty twenty three. Well, I'm incredibly excited to be watching and I really, really thank you for your time in helping to provide a bit more of a picture and understanding of where the Drua are and what we can expect of them for the 2023-2023 season. So thank you so much, Mick. It's been yeah. an absolute pleasure and I hope you enjoy the rest of your preseason. Yeah, thanks, and uh, We're really looking forward to hosting the Rebels here in three weeks. Um, so it'll be great to give our local crowd the first taste of, of 2023 season here in... Um, in Nandy. So yeah, thanks very much for your time and and good luck with the rest of uh, your podcast for the year. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.